Thank you everyone for coming and thank you to Scott for joining us. I guess I'll give a little introduction for those of you who don't know Scott. Today we're going to be talking about his book, Honest Advent. We all got it there. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Scott Erickson is an artist, author, performance speaker, and creative curate who mixes autobiography, mythology, and aesthetics to create art and moments that speak to our deepest experiences. Since we're in the season of Advent, our book club has been reading his book, Honest Advent, Awakening to the Wonder of God with us then, here, and now. Scott, like I said, we're so happy to have you here with us today, and we're looking forward to all all that this conversation has in store for us. Um, so is there anything else you'd like to, um, as we get started to, to share about yourself, um, with the folks in our meeting and our listeners <laughs> share about myself, yeah. um, that yeah. might be relevant to honest advent. <laughs> oh, no, perfect. Perfect. Well, uh, I feel very humbled and honored to have, uh, helped make to have made this book possible. Um, my joke is I uh, I'm not a woman, but I'm married to one, and I've witnessed three pregnancies and births up close. And I was recently on a um, a podcast with a friend, and she was like, "What books were you reading that helped inform this writing this book?" And my response was, "My wife's biology." That was the book I was reading. I was watching. I just was watching the embodiment of this, you could say a revelation, you know, you're going to have a baby and seeing how that, uh, how that honestly like comes into the world. And it's a mix of wonder and joy and also like pain and uh, a lot of heartburn, a lot of fluids. And so it was just, yeah. So I, I feel like, um, I'm just honored to have been a witness to that. And, and I am a parent, so I, you know, I participate in it, but um, my heart was really just like, you know, trying is always to find Jesus in our midst, to find the living God working amidst the absurdity and ridiculousness of existence. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm really um, like, I'm humbled and honored, but I'm also just like really glad I took the time in the years to kind of, put my attention to this so I'm, it's it's great to be here discussing it with you um after so many years of kind of contemplating all of this yeah absolutely i i love what you say about like the uh the goopiness and um the the grittiness and that that need to talk about in embodiment um mm-hmm. and i would love for you to say more um about how you understand this uh the, the incarnation of Jesus and the the humanity and divinity of of Jesus in that as well. Hmm. That's a great question. I you know um, so I and I this is in the book. I learned this uh, this Russian literary term called astronomy, and astronomy is the art of making that which is familiar unfamiliar again. So the community and the the faith community I grew up in uh, was very, you know, I don't know. You know, I think we portrayed Jesus in how we would imagine it to be. 
Um, <laughs> I know there are better offerings now visually, but you know, when I was growing up, it was like the 1977 version of <laughs> Jesus of Nazareth. And it's like this blonde guy who was always just like, you know, like no emotion. I think they were like, he's probably like, how do I act this role? And they're like, don't show emotion. That's the best way to play it. So Jesus just always seemed like a little, you know, robotic and stuff. And then and I spent a lot of time as an as a visual artist thinking about how images affect us. And what's really fascinating to me is when you're a kid, if you grew up in church, you're given cartoons, you're given illustrations of Jesus all the way up until middle school. And then imagery stops, at least in Protestantism. And it stops. And we never substitute those ch childlike images for more gritty, robust, uh, you know, whatever whatever we've experienced by the end of our innocence and we entered into the the uh, intensity and complexity of adulthood uh, we aren't given we aren't given imagery for that and so we still have these like cartoon Sunday school cartoons trying to bring those into our present complexity and it doesn't work or it it, it feels false or not enough whatever so um, it's really helped me to um, look, I, you know, I don't know where everybody's coming from and stuff like that, but it's, it's really helped me to understand that Jesus was fully human and fully God. And that's the mystery that's ununderstandable. Uh, but often the community or the faith communities I grew up in just dismissed humanity they just went fully god and like of course he was able to do that because he was god but there i i learned this that there's a whole other train of thought which is just like jesus was fully god but he put away all that supernatural business to be fully human so what you're witnessing is some kind of human and uh, being filled with the power and spirit of god so that's our invitation is to is to enter into that too and so uh I have spent a lot of time just thinking about <laughs> there's still many things I don't understand and things I'm like, I don't know if I can be that way in the world, but it's, it's, a, it's, it's there to start the conversation and stuff. And so um, I'm always trying to like confront the cliche about what I think Jesus is doing in the situation, what it sounds like. I try to use imaginative prayer a lot, which is like an ancient practice, but I think actually like the spirit, really meets us there. Imaginative prayer is simply like to read a passage of scripture and then spend time imagining yourself in that story and asking God to meet you in that story and like seeing it from all angles and stuff. And that's become really powerful for me. In fact, I probably used a lot of that in imagining these stories in these situations, what it felt like, what it sounded like, what it, you know, what it <laughs> smelled like. <laughs> I don't know. Those kinds of things. Um, the, because I think what I'm interested in is that, uh, from my own experience, is why do we dismiss ourselves from divine happenings? You know, what is our interior conversation? What is the, you know, when people are like, well, that's Jesus and he can do that, but I can't do that, you know, or that's those people from the Bible or that's the, that's not going to happen in my life. I'm just, I'm curious for, for my own sake, why I say that to myself and why others do and, and get into that. And I think it's a lot of this is because as we've given rever reverence to things, 
Um, and artistically, as we've depicted these stories and we cleaned it up a little bit and we put some gold leaf behind their heads and stuff, we removed these characters from being messy humans like we are. And so we removed our context from these ancient contexts. And I'm only interested in reading the Bible if it's a story that's still happening today. If it's a story that just happened back then, that's fine. Great history. But I'm curious if it's still happening today. And I think the reason all faith traditions, especially the one that I grew up in and partake in still, um, the reason we keep telling and, and keep telling these old stories is because they're still happening today. Um, and so we can see these women and men partaking in these like interesting circumstances and it can reflect the presence of God in our lives right now. And that's, uh, that's what keeps bringing me back to it. Wow. I, I love what you're saying about imaginative prayer. Is that what you Mm -hmm. call it? Imaginative prayer. Yeah. Yeah. I, so I used to be a camp chaplain at a camp in rural North Carolina And sometimes with my campers, I would have them act out Bible stories. I would just tell the story and then have them like take on characters and just be in it. And it was so cool because I don't know how much, like, I'm hoping that, you know, by putting themselves in the story, they they're internalizing them and like really understanding them by, by getting into the stories. But it was actually really helpful to me in preaching different texts. So I was in seminary at the time and I would sometimes, if I was like wrestling with a text to preach on in my preaching class, I would, um, have my campers act it out. And it gave me, it was, it really brought it to life for me and helped, helped me, um, get into it. But I wonder what you're, you said something about, you know, us not wanting to think about the humanity of Jesus. And also at the same time, us, um, ironically, like cleaning up our, um, our, our stories we tell about, you know, the Bible and about, about Jesus. Do you, I'm sure those are connected. And I I'm wondering if you have any thoughts about how those might be connected. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, You know, when you said that, about the imagine I have a big bookshelf here, but they're all turned backwards, but I, there's a book called the Celtic way of evangelism. I know it's somewhere like right here. It's really, it, it's, it's about uh, St. Patrick and his crew that went to Ireland. And it's really fascinating because the way they did evangelism was to like honor God already in the midst of the Celts. They didn't come in and be like, you need to know our God. They're like, God's already here, like the shamrock. And, but one of the ways they taught people how to pray is they did imaginative prayer. They just said, imagine Jesus and the disciples are in your garden and they're having a conversation. Just what are they talking about? Enter into that conversation. It's great. Um, your question was, can you say it one more time, Claire? It was like about the humanity, why we don't want to spend time with the humanity of Jesus. Yeah. And at the same time, so like, for for example, I mm. like talking a lot about the humanity of Jesus, but yeah. oftentimes I um, would get accused of not recognizing the divinity of Jesus enough. <laughs> um, yes. And it's like, of course, I think Jesus is divine, but like, we don't talk about it enough. Why do you, why do you think we're so scared of that? I mean, obviously this isn't a scientific assessment. Like we haven't, we haven't take, taken a large group of people and done questionnaire. Um, so maybe this is my own bit in my own experience and and talking with others you know i'm not everybody's 
I'm not everybody's cup of tea. And uh, for, I also like, I, I really am uncomfortable with the brand of Christianity. And what I mean by that is like the symbols, the way people talk, even in the like more like liberal progressive stuff that I've been in. Like I remember going to this like conference in New Mexico and and it was great, but every single speaker got up and they'd be like, let's just, uh, mm, let's just God, spirit. And I was like, is the only way to experiencing God is through a lisp? Is that the only way we can have like a moment with the Holy Spirit? Because every single speaker, it just got, ooh. I was like, there's no shouting. I mean, I guess there's like a whole other group of religion that does shouting. But I, I, my belief is that there's 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 nothing you can do to separate yourself from god from the love of god when we talk about the voice of god we're talking about the voice of love so there's nothing that we can do to separate us from that but our shame allows us to think that there is so most of our conversations about god are really conversations about our shame and about uh how we think we earn love now none of us here would really go you know love is unconditional from god we don't have to learn love except a lot of us spent time in traditions where we talked about this is what you do and this is what you don't do a lot of time on this is what you don't do and this is what you do and this is what you don't do runs on the narrative that love is on is on some kind of earning scale and can be demoted right and then oh i've been really good oh i uh, stick some steps back that is a scale of earning love that is not what god's love is god's love is already given it's already grace it's already transformational what it's trying to do is poke into all the guards we've put up to deal with protecting us from our shame the narratives we tell ourselves. Look, I'm not a therapist. I go to therapy. <laughs> I too am on the journey. I'm not saying this from a place of like, look at me, I figured it out. This is still, still, I, you know, this, this has been, I got to do something with this. This do and don't do got mixed in the concrete in my formative years. And it's very hard to get out once the concrete is solid and has dried. Um, it might be something that I constantly struggle with my whole life. But all I can do is to counteract that is spend time with love, spend time with grace and allow my experience to get larger than the experience I had with like earning love and failing. That is the only way I know how to outweigh that is through more experience and transformational experience. To answer your question in, in a way is I think, uh, I think often our conversations about God or Jesus are just really our projections of the things we're afraid of or the things we hope for. Um, it wasn't until my late, it wasn't until I was 30, Claire, 39, that I realized that the voice of shame and the voice of God were not the same voice because I thought they were the same voice my whole life. And then I'd spent enough time with the voice of God. And I was like, Oh, that is not the voice. Well, the voice of shame is not the voice of God. That is my own projection of what I thought God was saying to me. And God was gracious enough to allow me to take that long to figure that out. I don't know. You know, like, like the other thing too is, I grew up learning that 
faith was something that was up to me. And now that I've, now I'm 45 and I'm a trained spiritual director. I went through spiritual formation school and spiritual direction training. And what really solidified for me was that faith is really something that we do. Faith is something that happens to us. It's not something we do to ourselves. We Now we do do spiritual practices. Like Jesus said about the, the parable of the sower, we're not the sower. We're not the planting the seeds. What we are, what spiritual practices are keeping our soil tilled so we can receive what God wants to give us. It's not, we're not in charge of planting seeds. We're in charge of keeping ourselves open. That's what we're in charge of. But spirituality, the journey with God is to allow God and to trust God that God is doing what God wants to do with you. Um, I, you can see this in all the metaphors, uh, birth, death, resurrection. These are all things we're not in charge of. We're not in charge of being born. We're not in charge of dying. We're not in charge of being reborn. In fact, when Jesus's metaphor about being born again, you know, people took that and being like, are you born again? As if it was something you're in charge of. There's another way to take that whole passage where he's talking to Nicodemus and he's like, Nicodemus, you must be born again. The must be there. We often translate it as like, you have to be or you're out. But actually you can take that word and go, Nicodemus, it's already happening to you. You must be being born again. It's look at you're here at night. Something's already happening to you. It's it's Jesus is the author and perfecter as our faith, as the the scripture writer says. And so I am trying to. Uh, <laughs> now I feel really lost on answering your question. I think that's the real move. Is like often we like our conversations can be about trying to control and manage our shame and how we're in and out. Versus when you talk to somebody who's really like, I trust that God is leading me where I need to go. I try. That's a when you stumble and meet some of those people, stumble upon those people, you're like, tell me what it is that you're talking about. I want to know what that is. Um, anyways, so that that's that's some of my scattered impressions and thoughts about it about it all. Um, no, that's yeah, that's, <laughs> that's beautiful. And what a realization! Thank you, thank you for sharing that. Um, I think Dana has a question. I have, I have so many questions. Um, okay. Cause there was so much there. There's so much to unpack, but, yeah. um, first I want to just, uh, I want to just go back and, and hear what I hear, what I hear from you is that you, that you, you've been on this journey, this transformation, um, mm -hmm. and how, I, I think there's kind of two questions here. I want to say they're connected, but they could not be, um, yeah. how, how did that journey progress for you? um over time and then you talked about kind of the 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 uh, the progressive christian movement and almost where so did the pendulum is the pendulum way far over here on kind of the fundamentalist side and then there's the way far other side of the progressive christian movement where it's like hmm, where do we sit now does it come back to a middle um and what and this again is your your thoughts your opinions your ideas yeah 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 but I'm just you that was a very interesting statement especially because we're a progressive Christian movement and so I'm trying to figure out where all of this sits 
Yeah. When I say like progressive liberal, I was at a, a Richard Rohr, like a Center for Action and Contemplation event in New That's Mexico right. with like a thousand other people. Yep. And I was like, I can't imagine a more like progressive situation, no. um, and, you know, and but in the midst of that, I was like, oh, there's definitely like a, a vibe, like, like there's definitely like a brand to even this, you know, it's interesting as yeah so that's what i meant um is there a brand to every that's what i'm wondering like is there a brand does Chris, can christianity get out of a brand and what does that I, even look like? i think i think people um yes and no uh, you know for me it's what gives me endless joy is to just be like everything's invented um you know the way we do church service and stuff it's all made up but why we keep doing similar things is because from the beginning of time, when somebody stands up and shares their story, it does something to us. When people partake in like singing together, it's it's transformative. When people, when somebody shares their story and there's like a an opportunity to release our shame, um, that's transformative. And when we when we see when we pool our gifts together, you know, money, but also like talents and time and stuff, and help others with it, that's transformational. So these always be these are. These are in all the fabric of any kind of transformational experience. And that's why like our services or our ceremonies are always similar because these things are always been transformational, but we don't have to do it any certain way, you know? And um, so that's what I mean. It's like, it's all invented, but there's kind of a tendency to lean towards these certain things because we find these to be transformational. And when you start to see that you're like, oh, that's what's happening at Moth storytelling events and that's what's happening at concerts and comedy halls and you know you see very similar things happening i for me what happened is uh i guess a, i didn't like a you know i don't know when when we talk about deconstruction it's very broad for me what happened is i had enough friends die at young ages by the by my mid-30s i was just like I just, I think I was just after one of the last funerals, I just was like, man, whatever is after this, I'm not in charge of. Like, I just was like, and, and how I get there, I'm not in charge of that either. And then I reflected and I was like, so much of the religion I grew up in was obsessed with afterlife. Oh, when is the end times? When is Jesus going to get back? When is going to, what's heaven going to be like? And I was like, I wonder if it's because it feels very insecure about this life, about how any of this applies to living now. And, and what I started to understand about my own life is that I was like, huh, the spiritual practices or the way that I do this faith uh, is starting to fail me. And so I needed, so I started looking around to what helped and then me, like a lot of other people, um, I came across Franciscan practices through Father Richard Rohr. He just, I simply heard him in an interview and he said the statement, he said, Franciscanism is summed up like this. The the doorway, uh, the, uh, the door, <laughs> sorry, the doorway to the spiritual world is through the physical world. And the spiritual world is much, much larger. And what he was saying is like, there's a much larger reality, which is what I grew up in. There's, oh, you know, this is just a, you know, just flickers on a wall compared to what's really there. But there's no way to access that except through this reality. And so what that helped me, instead of a lot of the rhetoric, which was kind of a disembodiment, can't wait till we're here, let's let it all burn, which then I think you get older and you're like, 
well, yeah, but this this idea makes us like pollute the earth and it's really destructive to other people. And you're like, I don't know if this is what being a faithful person means. What this practices and way of thinking about was like, if God wanted this to be in heaven, then God would have never made the earth. Like this is where an infinite unknowable mystery wants to meet a finite creation. And this is what we must say yes to. This is what God has asked us to say yes to. It, whatever is after this, this is what we have to say yes to. And this is what Jesus partook in and is inviting us to find God here. And so that that's what really shifted for me. And then to really find the holiness, find the godliness, find the presence in the mundane and sloppy and saturated. I live in the Northwest. It's very moist. It's very moist here. Uh, you know, in the wetness and mossiness of the Northwest. And that, and so that has been, uh, that has continually been my invitation is uh, to find God in the midst of all of this. Um even uh, even when there's long bouts of like, I don't know if I have eyes to see. So that that that's what really shifted for me. So then the brand, what's the brand of that? I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there's certain communities that practice that well. Maybe they're driven by leaders or groups. Um, I <laughs> we're we're at an interesting time when we've commodified faith into music and bookstores and artwork and stuff. And so sometimes it's like, I, like, I remember my wife, she put on, this is a while ago. She would never do this now, but she put on like some, you know, worship music in the house. And I was just like, uh, it's not that I don't like this music. It's just like, I don't even listen to music that sounds like this. And to say that I'm not a Christian because I don't like this type of music is ridiculous, you know, but this is what Christian music is. And, and that's what I mean, like a brand, which is just like, you don't have to like Christian music. You don't have to like Christian books. You don't have to like Christian sermons. You know, what is, what does that even mean? Like to be a Christian, doesn't mean you like Christian products. Like that's not what that means. That's not what that means. I would say to be a Christian means you believe you don't have to earn love and you let the love that we of God transform you and see that and, and pour that out into the world that you live in. That's what I would say it means. Uh, you know, products and music and soundtracks are adjacent to that. They can be great. I have many friends who make Christian music who make uh, Christian stuff. I would even be somebody who people say you make Christian art, which is never something I've said about myself. I just can't get away from it. So <laughs> how's that? How's that to answer your question? Dan? That's great. Is that, that's great. Is that good? <laughs> that's great. Okay, great. Does anyone else have, now that we've opened the floor, I'm wondering if anyone has <laughs> just, yeah. questions they'd like to ask. Yeah. You have a question, Chelsea, you're muted. There yeah, I have a question. My question is the images in, in Honest Advent are, some of them are graphic. Yeah. And I'm wondering if there was any one particular image that you were like, should I put this out there? Am I really gonna? Yeah. Yeah, we had to take out two nipples on, uh, there was five nipples originally and now there's only three. Uh, we had, I removed two nipples. Um <laughs> We have to go find the other ones. 
<laughs> well, there's this one, which is like one. This is one nipple, and I think there's. Uh, I think the second one. No, you don't see any nipples in that one. Just hey, yeah. Awesome. Uh, there was nipples in this one, but these are the two we took out. Um, I, I think they're in. Oh, it's in the very end of the breastfeeding one. You kind of. They're very. They're very. They're very unclear. They're just like little. There um. You know, it was. I'll just say as like uh, as a man. Try, you know, attempting to uh, portray female biology in a respectful, um, non-sexual, uh, well, you know, like non-objectifying um, way. Uh, it 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 demanded a lot of humility. <laughs> like it just is like I can't believe I'm doing this, but I really was. Like I just had this conversation on the internet about this one. Because uh, now my wife had bra and underwear on, but this is literally a scene I saw my wife wait. Like she woke up one morning and she's just like, oh, my, like, my back hurts so bad. <laughs> like she just like had the worst light night sleep. And she's just like sitting on the side of the bed, just like, mm. and I was like, wow, that's a really good image. You know, just that stuck with me. I was just like, here's this in order to bring this thing forth, it's really costing this woman something like, and just, I could see it. I just like alongside her in the pain, you know, then eventually like the waddle and then like the third trimester sitting up in bed with heartburn, you know, I just witnessed this like physicality to it all. So, um, so why naked? Well, you know, for one, they didn't have modern bra and panties like they did back then. Also, I just am not interested in like making work with like shawls and stuff. I don't know. I just like whatever. So I went to art school. I got into art school because of my new drawings. <laughs> the president, like, he's like, these are great drawings. We'll bring you in. So I'm fine. I'm fine with it. I wanted, I didn't want it to be like, you know, erotic. I wanted to, but you know, like, boobs grow for some people during pregnancies and i think there's like you can see the tummy line and and just, it's just trying to like it's just trying to show like this kind of fleshiness of it and this like it's in this body it's happening in this body and the and it's amazing to me is like most people are fine with it it's really like certain kind of rules that we really haven't talked about which is like hey we don't portray these things this way which i completely reject that, that for me, that's like what I'm pushing on. I'm just like, I don't, nobody came up with those rules. It's all our cultural or shame rules that came up with these rules. So uh, I'm just kind of pushing on all that. I wanted to make something that didn't look anything like Christmas, that just was like its own thing, um, that that allowed, uh, that gave honor to the to what is asked of the female biology in order to make this process happen. And... Um, so that was that was and 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 I was like, surely a woman should be doing this. Uh, maybe even her name is Shirley. But I just was like, I didn't. I mean, I could have taken this idea and like tapped a, a like another female illustrator I know and been like, you should do this. Maybe I should have done that. But I also think that like 
the majority of images have been created by men. And I wanted to be a man who counteracted the majority of images that made this like safe and sanitary and almost like belittling or keeping aside the female um, experience. And so I just was like, well, I'm being asked to do this, so I'll just do it and we'll see what happens. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a bit where it came from and how it's gone. <laughs> and were you nervous to like put that out into the world or were you like, like, how are you feeling when you like went to go release this? Yeah, no, le legitimately one publisher was just like, why is this white man making a bunch of images of pregnant ladies like that was like one of their responses and i was like that's a great question and i really had to own why i was and it, it was like well this was my experience as a as a witness this is my skill set and this is also my offering to uh, a sea of maybe beautiful but maybe unhelpful narratives and i and 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 why not so i just at some point you just have to go Hey, this, I just, I don't know. I'm the one doing this and I'm sorry. I don't, I'm not as like, I don't look like what we hope the person was making it. Uh, you know, look, I'm not here to, I'm not, well, I'm not here at all to bemoan being a heterosexual white guy right now. Like <laughs> not at all, not at all, but you know, it's not everybody's favorite. Uh, I don't know. There's just like, I can't help my incarnation either. So either I just have to like sit on the sidelines or just be like, here you go. I hope this helps. And um, I'll actually always, I just, like I, um, I don't have a lot of competition. I'm also in a category that nobody kind of cares about. So I'm always <laughs> like, so I'm just, I'm always hoping that what I, if I can do anything is spur other people to pick up this kind of mantle of in, in contextualizing these stories into our modern aesthetics. Um, and if I can just be like one person that helps encourage a generation of other designers and artists and stuff like that, that's awesome to me. So that's what I'm trying to do. Um, but I am a contrarian sometimes. And I just, I'm also, I'm also willing to just like, let's push on this for a bit. You know, like uh, I've done some stations of the cross stuff and when I look at all that stuff, it's, it's some of it's, you know, like, oh, that's uncomfortable. But the content of that is about a murder. And it's all very safe. And I, so I started making images that felt very aggressive or hard or a little like punk rock. Because I was like, we're just we're talking about a murder here. Like, why are we keeping this safe and lispy? This is about this is like an excruciating moment. This is awful. And we should have art that kind of looks like that. So that's that's kind of uh, my context. I'll give one more filter into my process as well. And I've learned this over time is that I imagine that I'm going to maintain a relationship with the community that I'm presenting this to. Sometimes artists can be like, it's my vision and it's whatever I want. If you don't like it, I'm out of here, you know, and <laughs> I when I do my work, I imagine like, what would it be like to present this to my spouse <laughs> who I still have to be married to? <laughs> so if you're gonna push, if you're gonna push on something, you have to be willing to <laughs> continue the conversation is how I think about it. It can't, there's a lot of artists who are playing like, just whatever, it's what I want, I don't care. But I'm more, I'm like, meaning like, 
I'm sticking with the church. If I'm going to push the church, well, I'm going to stay in the relationship. So I got to think about how I want to push somebody I love versus like just telling a stranger how they've got it wrong and they need to look at my stuff. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Like having a relational idea, like I'm going to see you soon kind of keeps me, it keeps me in that, like how, how, what's the best way to kind of lead us to, from a place to another place. Um, Cause I'm not trying to like make anybody like mad. I'm just trying to like, like the conversation I had, a, a woman emailed me about this and she just, and this happens every year. And she's just like, I wouldn't like being portrayed that way. And, and we, I often take things to private conversations and don't let people know about it. But I was just like, I'm, I've thought this through. I'm very intentional on, on how I'm trying to push the audience with this because that whole meditation is just like what happens when we make things sacred, when we give reverence to things is we're trying to honor something that happened, which is great. But what we do is we begin to separate ourselves from that story and we can immediately go that happened to them, but it would never happen to me. Whereas the whole thing is about look who it's happening to. It's happening to the people you wouldn't expect. And it's, and it's happening in their bodies. And we live in a, you know, I know, I know that you women know what it's like to live in a, a culture that uh, has c- certain ideas about your body. And you'd be surprised that men feel that way too. We might not always talk about it. We all like, kind of live in a culture that has a lot to say about our bodies. And maybe it's been the help from my friend, Hillary McBride, who's a, a doctor therapist up in Canada. She has a book called... <laughs> the work of my body no it's man what a bad plug what a bad friend it's up here somewhere anyway she's really helped me a lot with like entering into a spirituality that allows my body to be a conduit for that and and that so yeah there we go i feel like it answers your question (laughs) i was gonna say it sounds what you were saying about like being attached to the community that you're um that you're like sharing your art with that it reminds me of like preaching yeah. Um, like when I am preparing a sermon, I'm thinking about the the people that I'm going to be look like preaching to and with, and it's, yeah. and it, it's a converse, it is a conversation. Like when I, when I say amen and benediction, um, oh, <laughs> uh, even after I give the benediction, like people, people are going to email me and, and be uh, un- unhappy with it. Yeah. Um, you know, people are going to come up to me after and, and say, and have their own ideas, whether they're like, you know, they learned something or they're just saying good job. Um, mm-hmm. but, but I hope, but I hope it's, it's a conversation. Yeah. 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 And I'm not and, just going to give a like I, sermon with, with no context to whoever's out there. Yeah. And I wasn't, yeah, I think that's right on. And for this book, I wasn't like, you know, when you pitch a book to a publisher, you have to really think through all the stuff, but you know, I was just like, I wasn't trying to be like, <laughs> how raunchy can we make these Bible stories? You know, like that wasn't the, <laughs> how much nudity can we get in here? That wasn't the goal. The goal was just like, how much do we need to portray the human body to help us understand this thing? Because all most of, like, I don't know if you studied art history and stuff. A lot of paintings of baby Jesus he's like a full-grown man <laughs> he's like a he's like a little baby man <laughs> and if you've ever seen a baby come out they're all like they're like this and they're like gray and they're like, ah! you know they're ugly they're very ugly when they come out <laughs> and no I've never seen one painting of like 
I've come to take away the sins of the world. You know, like it's not that. But that is the, that is like the kind of paradox of it. It's like I'm going to come in the same way you did, ugly and crying, for ugly cry. Mm, that's oh, there's a good post. That's another Advent follow up, ugly cry. <laughs> so while we're talking Christ, about <laughs> Christ, I gotta write. I'm actually gonna write that down. <laughs> ugly while cry. We're talking great, about that's a great okay. Advent post. <laughs> I can't wait to read it. <laughs> While we're talking about like community and audience, I'm curious, as you were writing and preparing Honest Advent, who were you, who were you thinking about? Who were you really writing this to and for? Well, it was a, it was an Instagram baby. I just, uh, I started, I posted a few 2016 and had, I mean, it, uh, it was the biggest response, you know, like some, they're like, this was your biggest post this year. And it was the Marion Eve. And uh, my thoughts on that. And then the next year, Advent came and I was like, oh, I should try to do more of that. And it kind of, and then the next year I did it. And then after like three years, I was like, oh, I have 20 posts. So it was really like, what, what's great about Instagram or social media is it can be a place to test ideas, you know, like, oh, does this, is this land with people? These are just some thoughts. And that's what really, so it was like a tested thing, kind of like, oh, people are hungry for this kind of meditation and um stuff and and like and and it gave me a chance to like you know when certain people if they did like it i might go to their dms and be like can you tell me why you like this but i just had an overwhelming you know what was overwhelming to me as uh as a guy was just that like how many women felt seen and honored by them you know there was very few i mean there's only like one or two people who are like i don't know if i like this but it was like overwhelmingly women were like this is what it's really like thank you for showing what it's really like and that and that and i don't know i like women and i just <laughs> i want to be a fan i don't know i was just like oh if i can help get if it can, if this can be if i can help make something that's very honoring to the female experience I should spend time. I should spend time doing that. So, yeah. Especially being, uh, having been aware, I grew up in a tradition that didn't have any women pastors, things like that. And yet, I had we had family friends who were female pastors and stuff. And I, and I, and and I, at some point, I was just like, I want to make sure I support. How can I support this as best as I can? So that it was some of that too, in this work. Well, we have time for a couple more questions if if anyone has any questions or things they'd like to share. I'm looking at the questions you sent me. Mm. Did anything stand out to you or? I mean, what is there anything you wish you would have included or left out? The um, oh, does anybody have a question though? Like I, I don't have to answer that. Chelsea, you want me to answer that one? Okay. Um, I talked about this with my friend, Emily. Uh, I wish I would have worded the intro a bit better because in the introduction, I talk about deciding to refer to God with a non-gendered pronoun. Although I don't say that because that right now people would be like, I'm instantly mad. Why? I don't know. I was told to be mad. Um, Meaning like God is like Jesus is a he, but God is uh, all things have come from God. So God is a, a they, if we would best want to uh, 
portray God. God is a they. So I refer to God often as it or they. And I've, if there's any like negative comments, like in Amazon or things like that, it's always about this. And it's part of this like larger BS fighting for my perspective kind of thing. And for me, it was just really, it was a lack of humility or sorry, not a lack of, it was an act of humility. Like I'm like Meister Eckhart says, God rid me of God. When we feel like, oh, I know what God's like, you don't know what God's like. God is an endlessly knowable mystery. And part of the journey of God is to unknow what you've known. Not hold on to like truths. Like we can know God is loving kindness and, and that kind of stuff. But like there's a reason why, I don't know, God's invisible, so we don't know what that is. Um, and it's it's much more immense than we could ever possibly imagine or think about. So, so for me... Uh, I find a lot of like the arguments about, well, God's a father and we can only refer to God as a man is more about controlling the narrative versus being transformed by the reality of God. And so for me, it was just an act of like, I'm trying to keep the mystery transformative. And some people just see it as like, oh, he's just in this camp of, you know, I don't know. I'm just I'm like, that's the dumbest reason that's not what I was trying to do, but I wish I would have maybe spent a, few, a couple more sentences describing that. I don't think I did well enough to curb some of that. And that's fine if haters going to hate, but I, I, I feel a little like mad that I get dismissed that easily on that because for me, it was like an act of worship. It wasn't, it wasn't like, I just want to go against this heteronormative narrative. It wasn't that at all. It was really just like, <laughs> what are we talking about? Like, cause if we're talking about, something incarnating we're talking about something that's like completely like we can't understand incarnating to a somewhat understandable form and that is like wonder making and and mysterious um and that's kind of what the meditation of incarnation is about yeah man uh so this this is a twofold question, but I guess it leads into my other, my next question. Okay. Um, is, is there an honest advent 2.0? <laughs> I don't know if there's 25. Uh, I made a new one this year about um, Zachariah, Zachariah, Zacharias, Zachariah. A Zach, let's just say Zach. And uh, like the one who go who has the he's like, how can this happen because I'm old and then he can't can't talk until John's born. Um and I'm and I I've had that meditation since last year, but I actually made an image and a meditation on it. And I have a couple more about like because when you like about Mary going to see Elizabeth because when you have an angel story and you find out somebody else has an angel story, you want to talk to them. <laughs> and, uh, and, and definitely the ugly cry one now, uh, that's a great one. Like, cause I think we've all hit ugly, ugly cry. And that's a part about being human is the, is the weepiness of it. Um, so I don't know, you know, it could just be like an appendix edition or something like that. Maybe some follow-ups. Um, so I don't know if it's a book, but I'll definitely, it's, there's still, there's still things that keep interesting me about the story. You know, that's the other thing too, is that it's really like five chapters in the whole Bible that is about this. It's not like a lot of content. So it's just kind of like, 
sticking sticking with it and and just seeing what comes up i uh i'm just i'm always my job as an artist that i've come to understand is just is just going what wants to come through and so my job mostly is to just keep tilling that soil and be open and then i'm just i'm always like what do you want is there anything you want me to put like talk about or put my intention to or listen to and so i'm just kind of taking cues um in that way so uh i don't know if it'll happen or not but there's i'll probably do i'll probably do the ugly cry i'm so <laughs> i'm the, so the fruit of this conversation is a post <laughs> called ugly cry i think it's so good for one i love cry i love i'm a big fan of crying i have I have this picture right here of when I met sadness at uh, Disneyland uh, that I have right here on my wall. And uh, so, you know, and I think there's uh, my favorite, I actually, I'll say this sometimes where it's just like, I'm a Christian because of the resurrection. I am, but I'm a Christian mostly because of the shortest verse in the Bible, which is Jesus wept because if there was a story of oh, this is, this is what the post is. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm writing notes. Because if there was a story about God and he ended up crying at his friend's funeral, like I have, like you probably have, then I wouldn't believe it. Because I would have been like, no, you just insulated yourself from the whole awful experience about losing your friends. And that's, but because that's in there, I'm like, that might be true. <laughs> so, um, and there's a funny parallel about like how babies come out and they cry and the first thing they do and they look ugly and we, and we, and at your friend's funeral, you're probably ugly crying. So that's a good concept. That's so real. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My, that's, my that's the gift. That's the gift of this Enneagram four. I was just, I'm going to bring you the sad content. <laughs> I was going to say, sad, don't get started I, on the Enneagram. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to bring the sad content to Christianity because, uh, you know, because sevens have, have kept it for too long on the positive praise trip. Uh, we don't. <laughs> Sorry. Oh yeah, man. Was... Well, Scott, uh, this has been great. I I'm wondering what are, is there anything you're working on right now that you can, that you can share with us? Um, yeah, I know you're right now you're working on this ugly cry idea, but any, any projects that are on the horizon? Well, friends, um, I I know if you follow me on Instagram, you'll see stuff that I've been posting and there's some new stuff, but mostly I've just been kind of recycling things because I just, I felt really burned out at the end of spring. Um, my oldest son went through a number of complicated surgeries on his eye. We discerned that we should move back to this place. We had to move this you can't tell but i'm just in like a really cold garage right now that i kind of try to spice up and i haven't really had like a space but um and what was happening and it's only in retrospect you can kind of see what the spirit's been doing with you but like um actually i'll tell you this story uh i was talking to a friend of mine who is two years out of a divorce he's dating again it's complicated kind of doesn't know what to do next and he, we were on the phone and he's just like, I just don't feel like I have it together. And I was like, man, I feel that way too. But I feel like we're down on ourselves by that phrase. I don't have it together. Because what is having it together? And I was like, I think we need like a helpful picture of what 
not having it together could look like. And I was like, what about this? What about, what if, imagine like a, t- a dinner table and it's all set out and people are eating together and then somebody spills their water. What happens then? Well, everybody lifts their plates up and then you take care of the spill and then you put it all back down and you continue. What if not having it together is just taking care of the spill? It's ridiculous to think that we would go, we could go throughout our lives without some kind of bumbling or stumbling and we would never deal with the thing that's underneath what we're trying to set up. If togetherness is setting the table, then like every now and then we have to like lift up our plates and clean up the spill. And I and you'd be surprised when God leads you to wilderness places, to desert places to deal with that spill. And I very much I went through the last six months have been really uh, hard, like, I don't know, hard. And, and I just, I, if I could sum it up, I said, whatever God is leading me into, the preparation for that was dealing with my spill. <laughs> and so um, today, I go get my keys to my new studio space, which is like down the street, six minutes from here. Um, the muse is back. I have a couple book ideas, a whole, I have a ton, like so many things. I'm like, I don't even know how to do any of this stuff. And I have, and I've had some people come alongside me and, and give me some really good suggestions about how to move forward. So I'm coming out of that. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of exciting things. Um, happening for me but it, it all it all goes so much slower than you want it to so this morning a kid threw up so i'm like washing dishes and then i gotta go get this thing and then i gotta pick up my daughter from school and i gotta drop my other son off at math tutoring and then i gotta get this guy who's gonna take the carpet out of my studio and then i gotta go to a dinner club tonight which is really fun but you know it's just that's the that's the things of life but yeah uh a few little things probably a a, a book of prayers for depression prayers for uh, the season of depression. And I'll do that again with my friend, Justin McRoberts, who I did prayer books with. Um, And I'm working on a new show. I don't know if you've ever seen my Say Yes show or any of my shows, but I'm working on a new show that is about paradox. And the running title is Pedestrian Paradox. Um, Because I'm not a I'm not a university professor. <laughs> I want to talk about paradox for how we re- experience in our everyday lives. And maybe that's a helpful framework. Well, Christ is a paradox. So it's more about like, you know, there's this kind of like moving from binary thinking to, you know, building, deconstruction, rebuilding, this whole thing. But it's like, I want to explore what's really helped me as I've gotten older is just to go, sometimes their life is just two opposing truths and where our life is living in the midst of it. And so wanting to give artistically and comedically and creatively and spiritually and honestly, like maybe a model or an image of what is it, what maybe paradox is what it means to be a person of faith. That it's not one or the other, but maybe it is just like having that spectrum of like, I believe, I don't believe. <laughs> I, I want to praise you. I want to curse you at the same, on the same walk, <laughs> you know, like, and maybe that's, 
okay, maybe that's actually what it means to be whole. I have, oh gosh, I can't believe I just said that out loud. I have said this for years and it's just like, I don't think the goal of our spirituality or Christianity is to be a better person. I think the goal is to be a whole person because that's what it means to move and enter into the light. It's let everything be seen and realize that nothing has been been able to keep in the dark. That's, mm-hmm. it's all been in the light. And, and, and God knew that when God said, I love you, There's nothing, nothing is surprising to God. So anyways, that's the stuff. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited to see that. And so something we ask, or we ask all of the guests on our, our podcast and our book clubs, um, what is your hope for the church? Um, or what gives you hope for the church? That's your last question. Dang, that's a. That's where we normally leave it. (laughs) Uh, I was having drinks with a friend, and he was like, "I'm still surprised you're in Christianity." And I was like, "Let me, well, let me break it down for you." I was like, "For one, a Christ-centered worldview really hasn't failed me. I've had to get a lot broader on what that means, but it hasn't failed me." And I was like, "But two, we definitely live in a time." where the institution that we grew up with that gave us a lot of great things has also proved to be a harbor for sexists and racists and narcissists and <laughs> abusers. And that institution has protected those versus trying to deal with it. And it's broken our hearts. I think we're all, if we're paying attention, we're all in the midst of a bit of heartbreak. And this is part of my paradox conversation. But then on the other side of that, I keep bumping into people who tell me their mystical stories. I keep bumping into people who tell me about a God at work in their lives. And I keep seeing transformation happen. What am I supposed to do with both of those? So my hope for the church is just like, hopefully what we, what we do do is to go, we're not here to save institutions. We need to we need to address our fascination and our our love of power, but we also need to see that God's working in our midst, and and that's happening too. And so uh, we're going to gather whether we like it or not. So we should really begin the conversation of how do we want to gather? Human beings have always gathered, evolutionary, anthropologically. We're going to gather whether we like it or not. So how is it that we want to gather? Maybe we're given a chance to kind of reassess that that's that's my hope right now mm. well thank you that's that's a beautiful vision thank you to everybody who joined us today thank you scott uh i hope everybody thanks has chelsea time. and dana and randa and katie and raya and chris is it raya did i get it right oh okay. <laughs> close enough <laughs> great raya you said raya right so, yeah there we go okay <laughs> Um, I just want to thank you, you for writing this book because I feel like it really like humanized and realized Advent for me and helped me really connect it to like my present day life and stuff like that. So I like very, I felt very connected to this book and really enjoyed it. So thank you for sharing it with us. Oh my gosh. I, thank you. I'm so humbled and honored by that. Thanks. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, that's great. Thank you. Making me blush right at the end. All right. <laughs> All right, everybody. I hope to. I hope someday we move from screens to real dreams, uh, and, and we'll see you out there. Okay. Yeah. <laughs>